And so, am I centered? Because I feel like I'm off, but I'll try not to get too distracted. Um, but no, so um, again, it's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. It's good to see everybody here. I mean, uh, after everybody heard this morning that Brother Rusty wasn't teaching, and I am, and so people had to make their adjustments to their schedule to make sure they didn't show up. Right. And uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And so, but uh, it is good to be here. It's good to see everybody here uh, tonight. Um, I did have a message I was going to bring up about hindered prayer, uh, but while we were singing and uh, <clears throat> and in open prayer, the Lord kind of just changed my uh, my message sitting down there. So I don't have my notes with me. I have studied this out, but um, um, I didn't set that for tonight, but so I'm actually changing my message, so hopefully you guys can just go ahead and uh, stay with me on this. We're going to start in Matthew chapter number 6, and so this is all going to be from memory, so we'll see how good my memory is. And so I just got a haircut a couple days ago, and my beard, I trimmed it, so you guys can't see how much gray is there. You guys can't judge me by how much, uh, how well I can retain my memory. And so, but uh, Matthew chapter number 6, as we're getting ready to go and uh, get into God's word, I'll just start with this. Um, I'm pretty sure all of us somewhere in our Christian walk, or as soon as we got saved, it's like, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to do? Um, uh, Where am I supposed to go? Um, How am I supposed to get there? Um, Asking all these different questions on what is my next step that I'm supposed to do? Um, uh, So I've been actually kind of, the Lord's been working on me this last year because I have a daughter that just graduated high school, which is awesome, and so I'm thankful for that. And uh, she's uh, already going, she's going to be going to GCU in the fall and uh, already pursuing, uh, she's going to be pursuing nursing with the possibility of uh, her heart is into going into becoming a pediatrician. And um, so that just kind of shows how much longer she'll stay with us. Right. And so, <laughs> but uh, then I have a son, obviously you guys know Dylan, he's uh, going into his senior year. And so we have a time, uh, and then again, this is last year's in high school and then uh, trying to figure out what the Lord would have for him. And so we're at a, uh, in, for my wife and I, we're at a time of transition, um, not because our kids are transitioning, but because it's something different for us. And, um, and so, but I, I want to go ahead and just mention to you guys, I'm sure many of us have asked the Lord, Lord, what is the next step? I'm sure the harms, they moved here about a year ago, right? Am I correct? Two years ago. And so uh, I'm sure up to that point, they're like, Lord, what do you have for us? The Lord brought them down here. And, um, you know, if I, didn't, if I would have known them, I would have told them that the Lord would have them to come here, right? And so, uh, but there's different transitions within our lives. And uh, at the same time, we kind of wonder, what is it supposed to be? Am I doing the right thing? Um, Lord, how do I see it? And uh, so in Matthew chapter number 6, I will start with this, and I'll go and give an example um, of something this recently when I was talking with Dylan. And so, but uh, Matthew chapter number 6, um, and the Lord, uh, starting in verse number 5, uh, the Lord's teaching us on how to pray, um, and the Lord, and we have the Lord's prayer. Uh, I'm not going to recite the whole thing, but there's something very interesting. It says here in verse nine: After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Then thy will be done. Um, we learn uh, from Christ as you go into the. Uh, uh, the latter chapters, and uh, even in chapter in uh, Luke, I think it's around like chapter twenty, uh, right around there, where he's praying in the garden, and he says, "Lord, not my will, but Thy will be done." So we all have a choice, either to follow Lord's will, or to follow what our will would be. What is our desires? What is uh, what, is, what is it that we want to do? Um, you know, I can have different decisions on how I, what I want Mia to do, or I want Dylan to do. I have different decisions on maybe what uh, Ellie and Drew and the rest of my children what they should do, what I want. But what is it that God wants? And so my kids even said, hey, Dad, 
what do you think it is that God wants me to do? I said, well, a lot of times when we're asked that question, it's like, well, I think you should go to school. I think you should go do this. I think you should do that. But at the same time, that's not the Lord's will. That's just something like, okay, well, just keep on going in the direction that you're going. It's good. Um, it's not bad. You know, going to school is not a bad thing. And so, but I said, okay, well, what is it in Scripture? What does Scripture say about saying, God, what is the next step? You know, I, I don't see anything in Scripture that says, all right, so as a father, you know, raise your kids. It says uh, to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Like, okay, Lord, now what happens when they're done being a child and they're becoming an adult? Does it say next, you know, next thing, you know, verse number 12a, you know, uh, go to college. <laughs> or 12b, go get a trade, right? Um, it doesn't say that. But we see in Christ, in two different occasions here in Scripture, he says, in, a, in an example of prayer, he says, pray that the Lord's will be done. And then Christ is an example where he's in the garden, and he says, Lord, not mine, but your will be done. Being a perfect example of what he had given instruction to the disciples and to each and every one of us today. And so I started thinking, okay, um, there was a, a compelling message that I heard a little over a year ago that kind of uh, helped me on understanding this truth. Um, so we're going to look through a few different examples in Scripture. Uh, we're going to see a um, we're going to see an obedient heart will, will cause us to be or to find God's will. We're going to see um, a loving heart, and then we're also going to see a willing heart. So there's three different um, uh, uh, examples that we're going to see in Scripture in the Old Testament. Um, coming up to this point, I start uh, talk about Dylan, and uh, you guys know he's a big baseball guy. I mean, not in the sense of just knowing stats and all these different things. I've mentioned that in uh, previous uh, services or in uh, Sunday school. But he is, uh, he, there's at times where we'd be in talks to say, okay, Dylan, what do you think the Lord wants you to do? He goes, oh, I'm going to become a professional baseball player. All right, so any of you guys ask me, he goes, well, my, my, my ambitions are I want to be a professional ball player. I, I've never said you're not going to be a, a professional baseball player. I don't know what the Lord has for him. I said, now that's a great desire to have, but then you can see it was almost his life was kind of like engulfed in everything and anything was baseball. Um, he still loves the Lord. He, I mean, if you looked at him, he has his devotions every single morning. He prays in the morning. He'll pray with his family at the end of the day. Um, he comes to church. Um, he, he, he goes to summer camp, and he's a helper over at camp. Um, you can see all these things. You can hear about he puts on the Bible study for the boys on Saturdays. You can see that he's uh, just so many little things that he puts in a place. You might say, oh, okay, you know, he's following the Lord. But there's times where, as parents, we're like, you know, are you sure? Like, even after all these things that he's doing, we're like, are you sure that you're honoring the Lord? And so there was a program that he was going to go ahead and go into um, that was in uh, Texas and everything. And it's a, a discipleship, like, training type of thing, almost like a military setting. Uh, but it's to build them up for uh, search and rescue and stuff. It's called ALERT. It's the Air, Land, Emergency Response Team Academy. So he thought about doing that. It's, uh, it is faith-based. Um, and uh, he was completely against it. It's like, no, I can't do it. I have baseball. I have this. You know, it's my fall. It's my senior fall time. It's going to be gone for eight weeks. I can't do it because it's going to keep me from uh, performing and, and pushing forward in baseball. This is my last chance. I have to make sure I make my mark in high school to where I can let the, the scouts know and so on. He's kind of going through the list. So I talked to him. I said, Dylan, I know what you want, but what is it that God wants? And so he said, well, God wants me to be a professional baseball player. I said, are you sure? I said, you're so locked in to not leaving to go ahead and do something like this and would be good. 
Um, and we talked to him about it and everything. So he was kind of fighting for a while, and then we just let him be. So we talked about it, I think, probably nine months ago, and started coming up, and it was this past spring to where we are going to start getting things ready. And then he said, you know, Dad, I'm going to do alert. And I said, really, what changed? I said, I want you to do it because I said so. I don't want you to do it because I want you to. He says, no, Dad, I think baseball is becoming my idol, and I need to go. And I said, okay. So my wife and I were started going through, and I started going through the research. So now he had the willingness to go ahead and do it. Now, I'm not saying that's the Lord's will for his life, but I was trying to see, is he willing to go ahead and do something that is bigger than himself and to see how the Lord would work in this type of ministry? Um, long story short, after going through it and getting some feedback and everything, we said no as parents. Um, he's not going. Uh, there's certain things about the faith uh, part of it that we disagree with, um, and we said no. So we did our homework. But the thing is, I didn't want to do my homework first completely to see, because I don't want to give him any kind of negativity about the program. I wanted to see what he was going to do, but he was willing to go. His heart changed. So when we saw that, we started to do the homework, and then he's not going this summer. And so everybody's like, oh, Dylan's not going. But, um, but I want you to go ahead and think about that. The idea was, is uh, going through Dylan, uh, with Dylan, it was his will, what he wants to see happen. He knows the steps he has to take to get to a position where he thinks he should be at. He's like, I have to do this, this, this. It was like a routine. You have to do these things to get there. You have to get big and strong. You have to get fast. You have to be uh, good. You have to be working, out, you know, working off the tee. You have to be doing all these different things with any kind of sport. It doesn't have to just be baseball. It can be football and all these other sports and everything like that, or even any kind of trade or job. And so, but at the same time, he was willing to go ahead and say, you know what, Lord? I'm willing to go ahead and see what you have for me. So we're going to go ahead and look at three examples. We're going to go to the first one. These are going to be familiar stories with you, but you're going to see, we're going to see how the Lord worked, and we can see the fact that people were doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, and then we can see the different types of hearts and different lives that they were living, and we can see how God showed himself to, uh, to these people that was completely oblivious of what they probably had, and had planned in their lives. Now, I say these things because I don't know for my wife and I, there could be something happening. I'm sorry. Um, with Mia, where she might go to college, and something happens where God brings something else, and something completely changes. I don't know. Uh, just tonight before we're coming to church, I'm studying and getting ready, and we get a phone call from my in-laws. They break down in Phoenix, and they're saying, what are we supposed to do? And I'm like, I'm supposed to be preaching in an hour, and you guys ask me what to do. And so, but we help them out, um, and so they, they're getting AAA and so on, but they're taken care of. But it's just interesting. Things are going a certain way, then all of a sudden, whoo, something comes right in, kind of, you know, sideswipe, kind of, uh, just like the harms, what they were just mentioning about Ellie. But so we're going to go ahead and go through Scripture. So we're going to go and go over to our left, and we're going to look at the obedient heart. So we're going to start in 1 Samuel. Uh, several weeks ago, I kind of alluded to this story a little bit about the life of Saul, about how he, I asked the question in a Sunday school, and I said, how did Saul become king? And obviously, um, if you guys don't remember what I said, how many of you guys would say, or what would you say, what made Saul king? That was, that was the start of what, why they wanted a, a king. Well, you, you already know the answer. <laughs> and I heard you say what the answer was. Yes, sir. So the, the, the answer is obedience. But before we hear the idea of obedience, um, some of us would say, well, because he was the biggest man in Israel, which you see that in Scripture. He's, it said that he was shoulders and a head taller than every, everybody else. He might have been the size of Goliath. We don't know. Okay, because he would, I, I, I believe that Saul was at least seven and a half feet tall. Okay, you got to remember, you got shoulder and head taller than every other man in Israel. So I believe Saul was at least seven and a half feet tall. He was probably the size of Shaq. Okay, and then you got Goliath, who is 
you know, crazier, crazy bigger by like a couple feet. Okay. Um, and so, but when we're looking at, uh, for, uh, in the case of Saul, um, we're going to go ahead and go over to uh, Saul, I'm sorry, Saul, 1 Samuel, chapter number 9. Yeah, 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're not going to go through the whole story, but we'll kind of get the little gist of certain things, and we're going to see how God kind of comes in. <clears throat> so in the first few verses, it talks about who, where Saul comes from. Um, and then we're going to come over to verse number, uh, verse number two. It says, and uh, uh, he had a son, referring to Kish, which is his father's name, whose name was Saul, a choice young man, and a goodly. So he was a good uh, young man. He was handsome. Uh, it says uh, that uh, there was none among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any, other, any of the people. And in verse 3, some people might say, well, he became king because the donkeys got away. Okay, because it put him in the right place at the right time. So it says, in the asses of Kish, Saul's father were lost. And Kish said to Saul, his son, take now one of the servants with thee and arise, go seek the asses. And he passed through the mount, and he passed through Mount Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they found them not. So up to this point, uh, Kish says, hey, Saul, I need you to go look for the donkeys. And um, if you notice that there is no hesitation, there is no negativity, we see that Saul goes ahead and he grabs a servant and he goes looking for the donkeys. Um, as they're going to look for the donkeys, it's not like they're going across the street. It's not like they're looking at, you know, within our fence-lined area. You know, when you come through, uh, when you go through the different farmlands over here, you can see there's a bunch of fences. If people have any kind of cattle or they have any kind of donkeys or whatever, chickens, there's usually some kind of fenced area. You know, when you're looking at the land of Kish, we don't know how large his land was, but at, obviously it was outside further than what they knew. And um, so if you study the areas on here, Saul probably went at least 30 miles as he was going around looking for these donkeys. And I mentioned it too with the youth and everything. It's not like when, he, when Saul went out to look for him. Um, let's just say Betsy was one of the names. Okay. And let's say uh, Homer was another one. Okay, we're just going to say there's at least two. Okay, and so, um, uh, so I, don't, I don't believe Saul went out and said, Homer, Betsy, come on. You know, trying to call him over and expect him to show up somewhere. It says that they traveled miles. They went from a different, city or a different town to another town. It's like us. If we would have left Mesa, we went to Gilbert. Then we went from Gilbert, went over to Chandler. And after that, we would go and circle around, maybe head into Mesa. And we're going all these miles, either on foot or even if they're riding some kind of animal. But at the same time, we know that there had to been at least a couple days worth of traveling to look for these donkeys. I don't know about you, but I don't think I can see past maybe a half a mile to see what something looks like. Um, especially out here in a desert area. There might be some greenery and everything like that. But if you notice something, uh, donkeys, unfortunately, are not like kids. Donkeys will go from one food source and water source to the next one, to the next one. They're not going to go ahead and stand there and say, and, you know, how, whatever, hee-haw, saw, I'm over here, where are you? I'm lost. Okay, how many of you guys have ever lost your child in the store? Okay. <laughs> Matt's like, <laughs> your kids, okay, the kids may look around for you for a moment, then at once, as soon as they find out that uh, all is lost, what do they do? What's normal they do? They stand in the spot, cry, and scream, and yell. I know you've done it. I, I know it. 
<laughs> so, um, and but you're you're in you're you're in you're, you're standing in the middle of the store and you're crying, waiting for somebody to come get you something to show you attention. These donkeys were not doing that. The reason why I mention this is because this was not an easy task for Saul to do. And so Saul, he, continue, he continues to go forward. Says they, as they went to these different areas, they never found the donkeys up to this point. Then all of a sudden, verse number 5, it says, They came to the land of Zuf, and Saul said to a servant uh, that was with him, he says, Come, let us return. And he says, Less, or like in fear of, my father, he's, he left caring for the, excuse me, for the donkeys. Now he's thinking, what about his son, or uh, for us? So right now, you know it's been longer than probably a couple days. He's probably been searching for a few days at least for these donkeys. And now the father, he's thinking, Saul's thinking, well, you know, my dad, he might be worried about us now. He might have said, you know, forget about the donkeys. I wonder if my son and my servant are okay. They've been out for quite a while. And then all of a sudden, we see, as we're coming through in verse number 6 and 7, it starts talking about, hey, there's, this, there's a uh, man of God that's in the city. Why don't we go in there? Because we heard that he can tell us anything. He can tell us where the donkeys are at. We can find them. So they go ahead and they uh, eventually they'll go, they get a, a gift and they're coming up to verse number seven. Um, I'm sorry, verse number eight says, The servant said unto Saul again, Behold, I have here a hand, uh, at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver that, we will, uh, that uh, will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. Uh, before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come and let us go see the seer. For he that it is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. It's just an explanation for the prophet. Verse 10, Then uh, said Saul to a servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city. It says in verse number 11, As they went up into the hill to the city, they found young maidens going out to draw water, and they said, Where is the seer? Uh, so they go, ahead and go forward, and it says over to verse number 15, as they're coming up, it says, The Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin. Saul's from the land of Benjamin. And thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people of Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because a cry is come unto me. And it says in verse number 17, And when Samuel saw Saul, that the Lord said in him, Behold the man whom I spake to thee of. So we see Saul. He's obviously probably a son of a farmer. And his father says, I need you to go find our lost donkeys. They're gone. I need you to find them. Saul says, okay, Dad, I'm going to go ahead and go. He grabs his servant. They are looking vigorously for these donkeys. They're not just kind of you know, going to the first town and camping out and say, okay, well, maybe they'll come around. No, they are looking. They're going from town to town to town, looking uh, really hard. How many of you young kids or teenagers have your parents ask you to find something in your room and you gave up in three minutes? Huh? Yeah, Jake's over there. Yeah, just that's me. You gave up in three minutes for something, and after that, you say, you know what? I know where it's at. I, I, I did this recently. I can't remember the object. I was talking to Dylan. Drew. I need you guys to find this. I don't know, Dad. We looked everywhere in our room. I said, it's in there. Go find it. Oh, Dad, and, you know, 10 minutes later, oh, we can't find it. I was like, don't. What is the common thing parents say? Don't make me go in there and find it, right? <laughs> well, guess what? That made Dad go in there. I walked right in. I went like this. What is this? Oh, we didn't see it. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so I want you to look at the idea of Saul. Saul is given a task. He's going from town to town looking for the donkeys. He's being obedient to his father's command. It says in the scriptures that he was a goodlier, and there was nobody that was goodlier than him. That's usually referring to looks, but he, obviously he was a good, well-mannered, 
uh, obedient young man. That anybody who saw him would have said, hey, he's, he's a good guy. I, I believe that as Saul came into the city, as the prophet, as God said, hey, Samuel, there's Saul, that nobody in Scripture could have said, hey, I have ought against Saul. There's something wrong with him. There was nothing in there. There's no fault against Saul up to this point. Saul was obedient. And because of his heart, his obedient heart, God saw and he says, okay, well, that's going to be the next king. Some people say, well, the only reason he was king is because he was taller than everybody else. Well, no, he was easy to be picked out of a crowd. But that's not why. Can you imagine if uh, Saul would have had the same ideas like when we asked our kids to find something in our room, that he would have went just a couple feet and like, ah, pfft. He would have never found himself in the city to go talk to Samuel. He would have never had that opportunity to be able to have given the idea uh, or given the, uh, the opportunity to say, hey, Saul, you are king. God has anointed, or I'm uh, commanded to anoint you as the first king of Israel. But because of his obedient heart, God's will was revealed to Saul that he's to become the first king of Israel. If you read the book of Deuteronomy, did you know God actually tells the future? In the book of Deuteronomy, he actually states the fact that Israel will ask for a king. And he gives guidelines. I believe it's Deuteronomy chapter 25. He gives them guidelines of what's actually going to take place on how they're going to choose a king. And what he's going to require of that king. But then we see here that Saul fits that profile as he becomes the first king of Israel. So we see the first one, the obedient, we have the obedient heart. Which by, uh, by, uh, by that example, we see how God revealed his will to Samuel. Or, I'm sorry, to Saul. I can tell you this much. Looking out for donkeys, I guarantee you never thought he'd be king, become king. All right? <clears throat> we're going to look at the next one. We're going to look at the, we're gonna look at the next king. We're going to look at the um, loving heart. So in 1 Samuel chapter number 16, we're going to go ahead and see this one. We're going to look at the life of David. All of us already know this uh, story, but it's okay. We'll jump in. We're going to see how God reveals his will for David. Again, we always ask, God, what, is it, what, you, what would you have me to do? Which is the right thing to do? Jesus even said, not my will, but thy will be done. And he says, when you go ahead and pray, he says, uh, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So in order for his will to be accomplished, we're like, Lord, how do I, where do I fit into that, uh, that, uh, that plan of yours? <clears throat> but we see right here, obviously, the first thing is we see the obedient heart. So if we want to know, if we want to see how God works in our lives and how we can accomplish his will, the first thing we have to be is obedient. The second thing we learn is through David's life. So in verse number, let's see here. I'm just going to read from verse 1. I can't remember the exact verse that I'm looking for. It says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? So at this point, obviously, uh, Saul um, disobeyed God. And so... uh, God has commanded Samuel to find another king. And he says here, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. So you can go down just a few verses, and in verse number 3, and it says, or in the first, uh, second half of verse 2, it says, And the Lord said, Take a heifer with thee, and say, I, have come, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord, and call Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Are, are, you're coming here. Peaceably, right? We're, we're not under God's judgment at the moment. 
If you remember what uh, Saul had committed a, a huge transgress against God. Verse 5, and he said, peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him, one of David's older brothers. And verse 7, but the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. Something completely opposite of what happened with Saul. Saul, he had a good-looking stature. He was a handsome young man. He was tall. He was big. He was a strapping guy. It's like, wow, that's what a king looks like. You know, it's funny because I think about that when people say, man, that's what a Marine looks like. I go, you know, Marines are like little stick figures. <laughs> that's what we look like out of boot camp. Most of the people out of boot camp, they look like, even Brian himself. I'm, Brian, you're probably a buck 20 when we got out of uh, boot camp, huh? <laughs> and so, but we see here that, Sam, or that uh, God sounds Samuel, do not look at what he looks like. It, that doesn't, uh, that's not what I'm looking for. And it says here, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So we can see Eliab right away. He was probably a good-looking young man. He probably reminded him, uh, Samuel of a lot of Saul. He's probably thinking, yeah, God, just like Saul the first one, this has got to be him. God said, nope. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made, his, uh, made him pass before Samuel. And he said, well, God, it's got to be him, the next one in line, right? Nope. Then Jesse made uh, Shaman a pass by, and he said, neither hath uh, the Lord chosen this one. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons a pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. Isn't that amazing? Um, just like a little side note, when you're looking at the life of David, you can see that Jesse called all the sons that he thought would be proper for what Samuel was looking for, what God was looking for. So unfortunately, Jesse fell in the same trap as what Samuel did. Not that it's a sin in any way, but it's just their mindset of saying, no, it's not what man would look upon. Jesse thought one of these seven has to be it. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> and Samuel said to Jesse, these are all your kids? Because Samuel's probably thinking, God, we, we said Jesse and his sons. Jesse's here. His sons are here. And in Samuel's mind, <clears throat> none of these are it, Lord. Are you sure? And then Jesse's like, oh, I have one more. <laughs> and you think about it. And he said, there yet, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. So the least of all expected to become king, God says, That's the one. Smaller than the rest. Wasn't even included with the rest of the boys, as Jesse called him. I'm not saying that David was a castaway or something like that. But in our minds, in our, in our, in our uh, earthly minds, we're thinking in our ways, or in our carnal minds, we're thinking, this has this got to be one of these seven. It cannot obviously be David. But God said, no, I'm looking at the heart. So David had an amazing heart, amazing love for God. We learn in Acts that it says that David was a man after God's own heart. So it makes you wonder about the, the previous seven. Maybe, that, maybe God saw Saul and those other seven uh, brothers. But as we look over to David, David is a shepherd working over, watching over some sheep. He's a young, uh, a young man. He's in his teenage years, and he's watching after. I'm, I'm pretty confident when his dad said, hey, David, or sent a servant over to get, uh, get David. David, come here. Your dad's calling for you. You've got to come to the house. Okay. I'm sure David, as a shepherd, he knew that, hey, I need somebody to take over my spot then. 
to watch over my, uh, watch over my father's sheep. So I'm pretty sure he like did some type of transition uh, between shepherds. He comes in and I'm pretty sure he comes up and he greets the man of the Lord uh, correctly and his father. And, and then the Lord says, Samuel, that's him. And Samuel says, David, I've come because we're, uh, the Lord wants me to anoint you as king. How do you come from the fields, working with sheep, you come right into the house, the prophet of the Lord is there, and says, you are to be the next king of Israel. Now, obviously, the people of Bethlehem knew something was up with Saul. They asked a question, Samuel, do you come in here peaceably? Yes. So David, he didn't say, Lord, man, Saul's really messed up. I'm pretty sure he's not in the fields with the sheep. Lord, he messed up. I would make a better king. I can be the next king. Right, God? I know Saul's got a wife and wives and kids. You guys remember the name of Mephibosheth? He was to become king. If we're going to try to follow the blood lineage, Mephibosheth was next in line. After David became king, Mephibosheth was like, oh, no, David's going to kill me. So I'm, I'm, I'm heir to the throne under Saul. But obviously, David showed him love and brought him to the house and treated him as royalty. But so David had no aspirations. He had no idea what God's will was for his life. But all David did was, we can see he was obedient to his father. He was manning the post that he was given by his father to be a shepherd for the sheep. And in turn, we see David's heart. He loved the Lord. He was a man after God's heart. He loved him, and all of a sudden, God says, you know what? That's a man who loves me, that I know if I put him as king, he'll continue to serve me and love me as king. And we can see that. We know that David messes up later in life, but we can see the book of Psalms. We can see the life of David on how he honored God, and he, he loved the Lord, even before he was king, and how humble he was. So we see we have an obedient heart, what we saw through Saul. He became king. We see a loving heart, what we see with David. Then the third one is a willing heart. No, it's not Solomon. <laughs> so we're actually going to go to the book of Ruth. So go to your left. So Ruth chapter number one. So Ruth one. Now, we're not going to talk about her becoming queen or king or anything like that. We do know Ruth is who to David? Like a great-grandma, right? She is, she's uh, the blood relative of David. And so what we're going to see in Ruth's life and how God was able to change her life based off of a willing heart. So at the beginning, um, we see uh, the mother Naomi the mother-in-law, Naomi, she has two sons and her husband. Um, and it says in the first few verses in chapter number one, it talks about how Ruth's husband and her sons die. Naomi becomes a widow, and she has two daughters. Uh, she has Ruth and Obed, right? If I mess it all up. Orpha. Yeah. Or, or Orpa. Orpa, if I remember. Yeah, Orpa. So um, I, I know O was correct. Orpa and Ruth. <clears throat> And it says here, uh, we're going to start in verse number um, 8. So after this take pl has taken place where she lost her husband and her sons, Naomi tells her daughters, uh, daughter-in-laws, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest 
each of you in the house of her husband. And she kissed him, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return unto thy people, or return with thee unto thy people. I'm sorry. And Naomi said, Turn, uh, said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are you any more sons of my womb that, I, uh, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, to uh, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? So she's basically telling like, there's no reason for you to stay with me. None whatsoever. Go find another husband in your land. So in verse 14, it says, They lifted her voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Uh, but Ruth claved to her. She didn't want to leave. And in verse 15, uh, she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back into her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Now we want to uh, take mind of verses 16 uh, to, I believe it's 18. It says, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from uh, following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall, or in other words, will, be my people and thy God, my God. She, was, she had a willing heart. It's like, Lord, I want, I want to, or uh, Ruth is telling uh, Naomi, I want to go with you. She goes, I want to go with you. I want to be with your people. I want to serve your God. And the Bible says this uh, in verse number 17, Whether thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also. If, um, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So basically what takes place is that Naomi's like, the whole time she's like, no, you need to go. Go away. Go over there. Go back to your people. And the whole time the idea is Ruth is like, no, I am staying with you. I want to be with you. I want to be with your people. I want to serve your God. I want your God to be my God. I'm not going anywhere. And Naomi's like, Man, I can't get rid of this girl. And so she says, okay, you're going to come with me. We're going to go back to my people. And, and the rest of the story, as we go into uh, chapter number two, just for sake of time, they're going through, and then uh, uh, Ruth is taking care of Naomi. She's going into Boaz's field, and she's reaping where she can. Um, uh, they talk about going into the corners where they can get some of the, a lot of the poor. They can grab from uh, the corners of the fields. And it's got to mention in uh, uh, to, uh, to the Israelites in the law to be able to go ahead and keep some food there for the poor. So she's gleaning from that area, and she's taking over to Naomi, and she's uh, taking care of her. Well, then in time, as we fast forward to the story, Naomi hears that she's been gleaning from Boaz's field, which is a relative of Naomi's. And so then uh, Naomi says, you know, we're going to come up with this plan. We're going to have you go ahead and go over to Boaz. You're going to sit at his feet, and while he's sleeping, when he wakes up, you're going to go ahead and tell him your story. And then in turn, what will wind up happening is, uh, in hopes that they get married. Long story short, they do get married. So Boaz and Ruth get married. Now, when Ruth, when she lost her husband, when Naomi lost her husband, they figured that all was lost. They were living poor. They were gleaning from the fields. They didn't have anything. But then we see because Ruth had a willing heart. She was like, you know what? I want to serve your God. That's what I want. That God saw that. He's like, you know what? I can use her. Then all of a sudden, God allows her to glean. There's, a, there's more than just Boaz's field where they're at. Because Naomi says, whose field were you, uh, uh, were you gleaning in? 
Oh, Boaz. Like, what? Out of any field? And so we can see God saw this as an opportunity and allowed their marriage to consummate. And then all of a sudden, you see, a few generations later, we have the birth of David. But can you imagine if Ruth said, all right, Naomi, love you. That's a good hug. All right, see you later. Going back to my people. Kind of like what Orpah did. It could have changed the whole history of what we see in God's word. So the thing is, is that if we have an obedient heart, we saw how God used an obedient heart. No idea that you would become king, or Saul did. We have David, who was a loving heart, had no idea he was going to become king. We have Ruth, who had a willing heart, had no idea she was going to be a grandma of a king. Or even have another husband and live a life full of whatever. Boaz was a, rich, a wealthy man. Now, I'm not trying to say this. I'm going to, if I'm obedient and I have a, a loving heart and I'm a willing heart, I should be rich and I should become a king or some kind of royalty? That's not the reason why I use the examples. The examples, though, is that we can see the most amazing things take place in somebody's life because of the type of heart they had. And again, referring back to what I taught last week, Sunday, it's like, what is our motive when we do things? When we pray to the Lord, what is our motive for his will? And unfortunately, when you hear a message like this, you're like, oh, Lord, I just want your will to be done in my life. I'm not thinking I'm going to be president, but Lord, you know, just <laughs> trying to be cautious. Not going to be the CEO of something, you know, whatever company. All right. But no, but God, he can reveal his will to you. And you would never have imagined that being part of his will. But all it required is, where are we at with our walk with him? Do we have the right heart to be used so we can actually collide with his will? Or another way of saying is God brought his will to those people. So the thing is for us, all we can do is, hey, Lord, I don't know what you have for me. I'm just going to continue to be obedient. I'm going to continue to love you. I'm going to continue to be willing to do whatever you have me to do. And after that, the Lord can use that. And then down the road, it can be something completely contrary to what you thought ever could have happened in your life. I'm living proof of that. There's things in my life. I'm sure you guys can go back in your lives and be like, wow, this is where I thought I was going. Then I'm like way over here. I would have never expected this. Or it could have been somebody uh, maybe when uh, you got saved. So one thing for me, like a personal story, and I'll end with this. Uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, I joined the Marine Corps. I was going to be in the Marine Corps. I should be in the Marine Corps now, according to what my desires were. And so, but I didn't get saved until 2005. Once I got saved in 2005, the Lord, he changed everything about me. I mean, today I should be somewhere either in San Diego, I should be over in Okinawa, or I should be over in, uh, at uh, Camp Lejeune, or I should be somewhere serving, let's see, how many years would I be in right now? I'd be 15, 16 years in right now. Um, I'd be minimum probably lieutenant colonel, probably right around there, major lieutenant colonel, if there was positions open where I continue to go. That's what my plans were. But that was something of somebody that was selfish, carnal, sinful, uh, lost. But I received Christ in uh, January of 2005 while I was in the Marine Corps. And Lord made things happen to what I've never imagined that I would be even here right now preaching God's word. Completely different. But the thing is, is that I didn't have any of these hearts when I was lost. When I got saved, my heart changed to one of these. So God was able to reveal some things that it could bring him honor and glory instead of me bringing honor and glory to myself. And so God can bring things in your life, but you have to have one of these hearts from what we can see in Scripture.